Hi there, that was weird. They, I just recorded an hour's worth of Alex Collier. This is 14 years after the groundbreaking 1994 interview, 2009, posted two years ago. Mm. And uh, yeah, it kicked me out of my podcast. And when I signed back in, it was gone. So you go figure what that means. It means I'm being surveilled by lo- local law enforcement. Yeah, just another symptom that they're geofencing me 24 7 without a warrant. Um, because they can basically do whatever they want, which is why y'all need to get me on the ballot. If you're a Tucson voter, independent, or Democrat, you need to go sign my petition to get on the ballot and run for sheriff. So this crap will come to a stop. As sheriff, sheriff, is, a very, sheriff is a very powerful position, and I can alleviate a lot of suffering. So go to go.azsos.gov slash xww9 and uh, share with your friends. Share this with your friends to piss off these stupid law enforcement. Anyway, so this is Alex Collier on Alex Collier's official site on YouTube. And I just found this person through some interesting clips on TikTok. Um, let's go. Um, that is always a possibility. We, we do know from the geological record that that's happened. I don't know that that's going to occur this time. However, they were greatly concerned again, and I want to reiterate this, that every coastline on the planet would be changed. So, Who's there? take that from I need to go to Wikipedia and look You said that there are an enormous amount of benevolent ETs helping us. What are the primary actions they're taking to help Earth humanity, and will their actions be enough? Um, I can't say that I know specifically and exactly what every intervention has been. Um, I do know that there have been. And will it be enough? I don't know, Rick. I, I would assume that they're making an investment here of their time and their energy to help us get through these dramatic stages, to get through these, um, these challenges, these moments of growth that we obviously have to go through because here they are right in front of us. So we can just hope and have faith. Uh, for people who are afraid that they won't survive during any earth changes, what spiritual or philosophical view have the Andromedans shared with you that you think may help people to overcome their fears? If you go to defending sacred ground, there's a, 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 a lot of knowledge that they've imparted. Um, one of the essays in regards to fear is one. Um, the other essay, uh, the Isness, worshiping the isness um, a relationship to the isness uh, there's an awful lot of wisdom that they have imparted but you know they've, they've always caught this time coming uh, the moment of advanced maturity so I, I don't necessarily know how to answer that question I know that I'm not going to be living on the coastline <laughs> you know, um, I'm going to be moving to the Rocky Mountains, uh, to areas uh, areas along the Colorado Plateau. That's where I'm going to be, at least here in North America. So everybody, you know, people have to listen to themselves. They have to get their own guidance. You know, this isn't about, you know, saviors. This is about everybody becoming their own Christ and being and figuring it out and listening and tuning in and figuring out, you know, what they're supposed to do, where they're supposed to be. You know, that's, that's, that's the purpose of, of, of maturity is to get to that place. You know, for example, Rick, we can go back to what, to the question that I asked many, many years ago, what was going to happen to us? You know, and the response was to become totally self-confident and free to unconditionally be responsible for oneself without being coerced to accept some higher authority. 
And that's it. That's the essence of advanced maturity is getting to that place and just knowing, just knowing, you know, and, and I'm not here to teach people that, you know, that that's, I never would have signed up for that, you know, not, not the way, you know, the earth, uh, civilization has treated its, you know, those kind of teachers, they've been ruthless with them. I never would have volunteered for something like that. In terms of uh, survival, though, we talked a little last evening about it, and you said survival is a false premise. What did you mean by that? In a spiritual well, sense. In a spiritual sense, well, the physicality is, is just a moment. You know, you're here, the only reason you experience physicality is to, is to learn lessons, uh, to gather uh, knowledge, um, to experience all kinds of things from spiritual, emotional, mental, physical, to gather data, uh, to educate your soul. Um, you know, I know a lot of people have a very difficult time with the concept of reincarnation, but I have absolutely no doubt that that is the way that it is. You know, that we don't die um, when our physical body uh, stops working. You know, we move on. We go somewhere else, and many of us come back, and we live again, and we learn different lessons and create different scenarios to, to provide us with the lessons of knowledge that we want. In order to educate our soul, um, this isn't new knowledge. I mean, uh, people long before, for thousands of years, have been talking about this. And the reason I believe that, that those kind of teachings have persisted is because they're right. And it doesn't make sense to me. It would never make sense to me if I were the creator of all to give people souls one lifetime, seventy some odd years on this planet to figure it all out to get it right that'd be impossible you know it would absolutely be impossible to do you know especially when it's as screwed up and twisted as it is <laughs> you know so to kill in order to survive doesn't make sense in terms of no it, it doesn't make sense because you know the the whole the whole idea of advanced maturity moving into spiritual advanced maturity is to learn how to create love because that's the ultimate lesson here is you create love you leave a legacy of love nothing else is real it, it just doesn't stick it doesn't i mean it seems real because you have so much emotion tied to it but it isn't real it it, it doesn't last the effects of it don't really last um it's a difficult thing to explain, and I, I wasn't actually prepared for the question. That's all right. So you slipped that in there. Um, <laughs> so, but that's that's about all I can say on it at the moment. Alex, what did you mean when you talk about our human DNA unlocking? My understanding from the A's is that certain uh, cosmic events were going to occur and or could be manipulated um, by benevolent extraterrestrials where they apparently have some technology that would allow cellular memory to release within our body and somehow that would create a reaction of total physical remembrance not a not only for the body but also for the mind and for the soul now you see when the spirit when the soul attaches itself to the body before birth it attaches to the central nervous system all right now that is where apparently we have well that's that's the soul's connection to the body that's where it, it connects we have all kinds of cellular memory within our body uh, our dna it passes from generation to generation to generation to generation now our subconscious mind knows a lot of this but our conscious mind doesn't and then there's a lot that's in there that neither can recognize so basically it's dismissed but the body has memory the, the cells have memory which they call cellular memory 
and apparently the body knows how to heal itself, can heal itself, it can create physical changes on its own if it's just allowed to or given a command to do so. And my understanding is that we are coming to that point where things like that are going to begin to happen. We already know that there are children being born in the world today that have uh, three strands of DNA, some even more. Um, has there been uh, tampering? Has there been intervention? In some cases, I would have to say probably yes. But in other cases, I would say no. It's the body beginning to overcome all of its limitations um, for because of a desire to continue to, th to thrive. The body will make adjustments, which is why so many different races are so interested in us, because our bodies are incredibly adaptable to environments and changes, regardless of the fact that we've been manipulated. We, we are we're very strong, you know, and, and our, our desire to continue to, to live is very, very strong. And that's not simply just will, you know, that, that's also the body wanting to continue. Um, so that's what I have to say about that. Alex, I got a, a tough question for you. How do you answer skeptics who cite a number of predictions that you've made in the past about future events that have failed to come to pass when you suggested they would? Well, first, Rick, I'm glad a lot of them didn't happen, quite frankly. I think we, we would be in, a, in a, a very different world than we are today. Number two, many of those uh, possible events, when they were presented to me, were presented as possibilities um, or a very strong probability. In my immaturity, when lecturing and putting this information out in the 90s, You know, I was having, I was running a lot of fear. Um, I was being harassed by governmental agencies. I was being followed. My phones were tapped. There were a lot of things going on. I was losing jobs left and right because I was putting out this type of information. Um, there were a lot of things going on in my life at the time. You know, I can only, I'm the only one who can take responsibility for that. If, if I had to do one thing over, I would have taken those possibilities and I would have presented them more or try to present them more in a, in a positive light and say, this is a possibility. This is a probability that they said could occur here and here and here. Now, I know several of the events did not occur because of intervention. I know that. And intervention is still occurring. Okay, uh, and I'm thrilled that they didn't happen. For the others, I don't know. I don't know if it was consciousness. I don't know if uh, people being aware of the possibility of the events and they prayed, they saw a different outcome. I simply don't have that answer. I, I don't know. Um, but of course, it's something that you have to look at. And um, it's, it, the criticism is justifiable. You know, um, is there one example you can give me of uh, where an intervention occurred that changed one of those events? That um, you nuclear nuclear weapons detonation. There's been lots of intervention that has occurred, and I can tell you, as of four weeks ago, there was still intervention going on in that regard, and that's a fact. Thank God for it. Now. Is it wise for anyone to try to predict future events? Would you, would you advise anybody else who's in contact with these to, to predict future events? Or is that something that you consider unwise at this point? You know, I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I'm still maturing, I hope. Um, as far as wise, what it tells us is that the future is never set, which means to me we can create anything that we want as long as we all, or a majority of us, have a very focused intent. That's what that tells me, and I'm extremely encouraged by that if we can get enough people together to, to decide on what kind of a future, what kind of a life, 
the planet we want. I mean, this is clearly, you know, the law of attraction at work here. Uh, the future's not set. It, it could also be that maybe we these things coming up in 2012 with the bouncing off the galactic plane, maybe if enough of us get really focused and we surround the Earth with enough, enough love and energy that nothing will happen. You know, I don't have those answers. I just don't. I'm, I'm, you know, everybody thinks, God, you, you know, you've been talking to extraterrestrials for 35, 38 years. You know, you've got all this knowledge. That's true. But, but you know, I have just as many questions as well. You know, some of the conversations we've had have been extremely one-sided where I've shared information and I'm not able to ask enough questions. So. You're just here, Yes, more so than ever. <laughs> more so than ever. There's a episode in George Washington's life that has a lot of meaning to you. Uh, the third trial of George Washington, his vision at Valley Forge. Why is that so important to you? Well, when I was a little boy, I always had a thing for George Washington. My dad uh, took us to Mount Vernon, and uh, I just loved it. And I can remember sitting in, in his backyard, looking down the Potomac. And, and you know how you just know you've been where some, been there before? You know, I'd been there before. And I was extremely moved by that. Um, and it's just, it's just, it's hard to put into words. Well, when the, when I started talking to the A's, uh, Moran and Viseas were very adamant about me studying that and looking up that prophecy. And uh, I've, I've asked, and they just said, well, it could be very, very important in America's future, especially the direction that it's moving now, that this, this could be a probability. So I studied it because they know um, that I have a passion for uh, the founding of the United States and the principle, especially the principles for which it was founded on. Uh, a constitutional republic, a bill of rights, um, because those documents and, and America literally created a new domain of knowing that wasn't here in the world before. Before it was always aristocrats and monarchies that ruled the world and governments. And America changed that now forever. So I saw that, you know, and I recognized that as a little boy as, a, as an amazing turning point. And the more I learned from the A's, the more I realized how important that actually was for humanity to actually have the opportunity of self-government. Unfortunately, there's been a tremendous amount of negative intervention, and they know us probably better than we know ourselves, and they've been able to lull us back into sleep, lull us back into consumerism, um, into forgetfulness by dumbing down everybody through our school systems. You know, and now they don't even really teach any of that. So uh, it was, they felt very importantly to let me know about that. And if you look at the third trial, it's, it's a remarkable event. I certainly hope it doesn't happen. I don't want it to happen. Um, but I just shared that with you because I thought it was important that, you know, that they would not only come this way, but they, they would be adamant that I research that. And, and I look into it. So that's why I shared it with you. I mean, it was something that was shared, I think, in 1834 or 1838. And, uh, you know, it talked about the founding of the United States, talked about the Civil War, and then the third trial. And what's interesting is, you know, these are events that, that have occurred, that did occur after that. It also, you know, if you look at the third trial, it's very close to where the world is today. And what is the uh, essence of that third trial? That essentially the world becomes polarized against the United States and comes after the United States. And if you look at the actions of our government and our banking system today, you can absolutely see some parallels. And the fact that, you know, our government is gearing up for a third world war, uh, that you know, that there are people in, in the administration presently who really would love to isolate Russia 
in world politics, um, using the rest of the world, especially pitting China against Russia, and you know, in the Obama administration, you know, there's there's a lot there. It, it wouldn't take much for something like this to occur. And it's it's worth noting, if nothing else. For Americans, is there anything in your mind that we can do to help? For Americans, I mean. It, we have to practice self-government. I mean, if I would say anything, I would say go to the library, go online, and the first thing you should do is read out loud the Declaration of Independence. Tell me if that doesn't make sense today, as it did then. You know, just replace King George with the Federal Reserve. Tell me if it doesn't make any sense. You know, start there. Remember who you are. You know, that's the birth certificate, the Declaration of Independence. It's all about remembering who you are and then getting fired up and saying, you know what? Yeah, we've got to do something because our generation, we cannot drop the ball. We cannot saddle our children and our grandchildren with a horrible socialism that infallibly will move into fascism, corporate fascism. We just simply can't do that. It is unconscionable for us to just do nothing. We have to do something because future generations will be livid with us if we don't do something, you know, and, and, and this is our time to, to basically set things right. Um, you know, and again, I want to stress, this isn't really so much about the government as it is the program. And the program is running over the entire world. It's just right now, in order to set up a global world government, we're at the target. We are, America is in the crosshairs. And, you know, we need to create our own crosshairs and focus them back on them. Uh, you've said that uh, this conflict over Earth is being very well managed by both opposing forces of ETs, the benevolence and the regressives. Um, what do you mean by this? Well, we don't see any of it. Um, you know, we don't see we don't see the open warfare or the clashes that are occurring um, simply because it's being so managed that, that it's out of our sight. Um, you know, some of it is actually taking place on a higher dimensional frequency that we don't actually see it. Um, but there have been incursions into third density, you know, um, that we we are in fact aware of, which is why there have been recovered crashes, you know, because they've been shot down. So it's being well managed uh, both sides so both sides can do what they want to do and at the same time we're being allowed to to move in a specific direction. Okay now I got a tough one here. Uh, we're not trying to uh, contradict anybody else's belief system here. We're just speaking about the Andromedans. But according to the Andromedans in our ancient past earth was moved by the pleiadians how did they do this and why is this important and also why is it so controversial what is so controversial well the the concept that the the pleiadians are imperfect that they've made mistakes in the past well they've all made mistakes i mean that's called growth that's called maturity um, you know, you don't, you don't know the right things until you've done the wrong things. Um, you don't know the path until you, you've experimented with different logic, uh, different ideas, different philosophies, um, different methods of implementation of thought and creation and worship. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's what life was created for. That's what physicality was created for, was to to experiment, to to enrich our lives with with experience, and you know to worship the extraterrestrials as our ancestors did in the very very ancient past, it, it would be stupid. It would be the wrong thing to do, and the reason for that is this: yes, they have incredible technology. Yes, they have enormous wisdom about space, about life, and there's a a zillion things they could teach us. But they have gotten there the same way we're getting there, by making mistakes. That doesn't mean they're gods. 
that doesn't mean you bow down and you worship them. They have made their mistakes, and in many of them, they're still making mistakes. Now, the the reason I you've asked the question, obviously, is that the A's have been somewhat critical of the mistakes the Pleiadians have made in the past here on Earth. And one of the things that they have said to me was that the reason they're involved now is to help the Pleiadians step up, that they have an obligation to right some wrongs, that the situation that we're in, we're in because they did not fulfill a promise after Atlantis to protect Earth. They didn't do it. But the Andromedans say that Earth was moved by the Pleiadians. Why, why would they do that? Let alone how could they do that? Oh, that isn't it, that isn't difficult to do. I mean, it only takes several very large motherships where you form a uh, a grid a grid around the Earth, and you can literally use the gravitational field um, and pull it or move it forward. And that isn't difficult. Solar systems are built today by extraterrestrial races. They they can do that. They can you know, bring moons that are just floating out in space and put them around planets. They can move planets closer, further. Uh, they can take an ice planet, move it closer to a star so that the ice melts. Now there's water. They can do all kinds of things. You know, this type of, of um, uh, engineering, uh, planeteer uh, engineering, I don't know that there's actually a word for it, it can be done and has been done. Um, and it's, it's, it's the same here with Earth. Uh, there was a point where we were actually too close after a direct hit uh, with another another uh, planet. And they were able to move it further away from the sun, which was a good thing. Okay? So this can be done. And and, and that in itself was, was not necessarily a mistake. Okay? The mistake that many people make is that they think that because these extraterrestrials can come 100 million light years, 140, 230, 600 light years across the galaxy to Earth, that they have to be all-knowing and omnipotent. Absolutely not the case. Just simply not the case. Um, I mean, you know, look at our own, our own hidden space uh, program. We know it exists. And, you know, they have remarkable technology, and they have probably in all realistic have tried to leave the solar system and could leave the solar system to travel to other stars you know we have the technology the you know the montauk information the star chambers information you know we have enormous technology that we've reverse engineered you know we but it's one thing to have the technology it's another thing to have spiritual wisdom and that's where we're really in trouble here. You know, it's, we don't have the spiritual wisdom to know how to use these tools. And we're like new kids on the block. We get that brand new Stingray bike. And the first thing we do is run through the, the intersection, you know, with it. Cars hit, hitting the brakes and horns blowing and, you know, people screaming, watch out, watch out. Because we don't know what we're doing, you know. And this is where it creates problems for other other races, you know, especially, Rick, especially when you look at the Earth herself and you look at all the issues that are going on on Earth that we just simply don't want to resolve. You know, we refuse to resolve. And here we are going to just leave Earth and, and take that energy out into space. Uh-uh. They don't want any part of that. There's no place for that. They've already been through this. They don't want this any, they don't want this kind of, of uh, insolence out there. Okay? There's no place for it. And we have a place in the galactic family, but we have to also know that place. And knowing that place takes a tremendous amount of introspection really genuinely looking at ourselves you know let's go back to some of the things that were said very early in the contacts before the a's actually decided to intervene there was a great deal of discussion regarding 
um, Earth with the, within the Andromedan Council. Now, that is where a lot of planetary systems meet. It isn't run or owned by the A's. It's just, it's a lo location, so they call it that. Okay, it's easy for, for everybody in that area to, to meet there. And there were many that were opposed to doing anything to help us. And let's focus on those reasons. They don't respect themselves. They don't respect each other. They don't respect their home planet. What is their value? Now let's look at the earth. Let's look at ourselves today. Has it changed any? Has it changed any? We have free energy. We have free technology. Okay, we, we have the technological means to create that. And yet, we're about to fight World War III over oil. You know? So we can drive our cars and our trucks when those engines have been obsolete for 70 years. We know this. This isn't this isn't rocket science. This is this is out there already. Okay? We're looking at a war over water when instead of feeding the military industrial complex we could be building desalination plants all over the world so everybody could have water so they could grow crops but are we doing it hell no why would we want to do that why would we want to empower people to grow food and take care of themselves then we can't control them this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. So back Sweet. to the Pleiadians. Let me give a little history on the Pleiadians. Uh, mm -hmm. what, tell me about what Atlantis was and how the Pleiadians were involved in it. Atlantis was an extraterrestrial colony. Um, there were many races coming and going. It was kind of a... The analogy that, that I've been given was like a truck stop. You had planetary systems moving in and out of our galaxy, and this was one of the stops. One, because of its location. Two, because of its minerals, uh, its amazing different type of life forms. And many of those life forms were brought to Earth in full form, just so you know. Which is why we can't find, you know, the evolution in the fossil record. It's because they were brought here in full form. So it was a, a colony. There were many races coming in. Um, many of them were human. Many of them were not. Uh, there were all kinds of experiments uh, going on here. You had extraterrestrial, human extraterrestrials, the giants um, co-mingling with women um, of our world, leaving offspring. Many of them became uh, royal lines. Others were hunted down and killed by other races um, because they were half-breeds. You know, so, and, and if you remember in the, in the early notes, the A said that prejudice was an extraterrestrial perspective. This was something that we had been taught by the extraterrestrial races themselves, which clearly shows, you know, they had some maturing to do. They, they were going through a growth curve. Um, hopefully all those races have, but apparently not, because we still have some regressive races that are here doing their thing, um, you know, hiding behind us, essentially. Um, so... You know, it was an extraterrestrial colony, which is why it was so technologically advanced. Um, people were coming and go, races were coming and going. Um, and that all ended in, in a war, in, in another war. And, um, you know, from what I, what I understand, it was the Pleiadians who took out Atlantis. So, and that's a whole nother conversation. You also, I think, expressed that the Andromedans said that those left behind on Earth were supposed to be protected by the Pleiadians? Yes. And what happened there? They left. They didn't stick around. And other races came in and um, not only took refuge, but created underground colonies for themselves and essentially began the very slow process of managing us, controlling us. And at, and at some point, they started using us 
as a natural resource. Are those the ones that uh, have created the program, as you call it? They're a very integral part of the program. That is correct. How has the moon and those other races associated with the moon affected Earth humanity, and, and what's the history there? Okay, that's no small question. Um, what I've been taught was that the moon showed up somewhere around 11,600 to 12,000 years ago. Um, it was brought here. Uh, we know it's hollow. Uh, it came from, uh, I believe, Ursa Minor, from a star system called Chauta. And uh, it used to be a, a craft of some sort. And, you know, in the early years of space travel, many of the planet-faring uh, planet races now, when they first started, they didn't have all the natural resources to build huge craft. So what they would do is they would use smaller craft, and they would go out and try to capture uh, moons, asteroids, things like that. And then what they would do is they would move them into their orbit safely, and then they would hollow them out and use them as spacecraft, build the craft on the inside. So now they have all the raw materials they need on the outside, build the craft propulsion system, um, your life support systems, things like that on the inside of these moons, and then they would use that as the craft, you know, as opposed to using all of your natural resources to build the shell of the ship. They didn't have to do that now, all right? Um, it's just really smart. So, you know, briefly, that's the story of, of the moon. We, we, that's dealt with in uh, defending sacred ground. Now, the Aryans, the Maldekians, how are they associated with the moon? And who are they? Well, they're essentially the same. You know, if you look at the Aryan, the Aryan race, per se, um, it's a combination of Orion, of a lot of different races. Let me just say that, of, of different human races. Now, my understanding is, is that during one of the last pole shifts, they hid underground facilities that were built for them in the Himalayas because it was going to be safe there. And after the pole shift occurred and things began to settle, they came out. But apparently not all of them have come out. There is still a very small group that live inside the mountain underground, excuse me, who literally want no part of the surface. So that's how I could address that. Um, and I think this is documented in, in history books where uh, the, the Anglo-Saxon race, the white race, you know, came out of the plateaus of the Himalayas in, in ancient history and uh, moved out through India and just, you know, migrated to different areas of the world. Um, I also understand that they had some um, advanced technology that was used um, as well. They had access to that what's their influence been on humanity has it been positive negative what kind of influence i would probably have to say both i would have to say both you know it's a, you know rick you could take any any piece of information any philosophical set. belief and you, you know you can turn it for positive or for negative Looking bomb. you know but ultimately the decision to buy into that belief system whether it's light or it's dark or positive or negative, is as us, you know? I mean, there have been a lot of ideas that have just gone by the wayside because nobody believed it, didn't want to believe it, and it wasn't of any use. Well, it's the same thing with the religions, you know? Um, it can be used for positive or for negative, but it ultimately is the responsibility of the people who take, who buy into that belief system to use it in, in, a, in a good manner you know, or a negative manner. So it's it's like, you know, what was it, Flip Wilson when we were kids, the devil made me do it. You know, I mean, you know, how, how often have we heard that? Um, where in fact, you know, he made the choice to do it, you know, so. Faust. Yeah, Faust. So, what's the, I know 
You've told me that in the last five years you've had limited contact, although you've had some in the last year with the Andromedans. Um, but according to what you've come to understand in previous years about the moon, what's been occurring there in recent times, say the last 50 years, you've stated that the NSA has been operating bases on the moon since the spring of 1958. Now, a skeptic would say, how is that possible to keep such a secret hidden from the public for so long? And, and how did you get the information that the NSA has had bases on the moon since the 50s? Okay. Well, it wasn't their base, but they were there sharing the base. But let's correct that. They were taken up there by the Greys. <laughs> That's how they got there. Um, and, you know, there was an exchange of technology and personnel. We know this, but this goes back to the to the to '54, and there were even attempts at contacts even earlier than that. So there was uh, in '54 the beginning of sharing of technology. Now those that project, from what I understand, you know, it's amazing. Um, the, the group that the first group and series of groups that went were known as the Black Monks. I don't know if it was Project Black Monk or what. But this has been going on for some time, and everybody thinks the government can't keep a secret. Well, they absolutely can keep secrets. Um, I think in the beginning their intentions were good. I think they honestly wanted to get their hands on this technology. I think they thought that they were clever enough that they could take this technology, use it here, and at some point end the relationship. You know, I think that they were arrogant enough at the time, I'm talking about our people that began this whole program, um, that they thought that they could trick the Greys out of this technology, we would have it, and at some point we could push them away, and we would have it, and we would be free, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Either that, or they were incredibly naive um, and just couldn't help themselves. I don't necessarily have an answer. Um, but it, it has not gone the way they, they've expected it. And many of them inside the program know that, that this is, that they're in trouble, that this is an issue that they don't know how to resolve. And I can tell you that I know that there have been, there has been, um, efforts to reach out to other races to help with this issue. The problem is, though, and what keeps coming back when when there when there has been um, how do I put this? When there has been some face to face with benevolent races. What comes back is that these benevolent races will push back to the governments uh, or to the, this, this group. Well, it was our government that did it at first. They say, look, you, you signed a, a treaty. You agreed to all of this knowingly, you know. It's your responsibility. And apparently we were warned you know, not to go with these guys. So it's kind of a dilemma, actually. And, um, but at this point, the benevolence will intervene. I absolutely believe they will intervene for the sake of humanity and not the sake of, of world governments. You know, they're going to do, I believe, they're going to do whatever they can to protect the people, not the governments. Was the 1969 moon landing a fake, or was it real? I don't believe it was a fake at all, no. Why haven't we gone back since 1972 or 73 to the moon? Well, I don't think it was because of lack of interest. I think it had to do with the fact that we were told not to go back. Who told us that? I don't even want to get into that. <laughs> I don't want to get into that. Next question. <laughs> when Mornay shared with you their understanding of the relationship with the Isness, which is like what some of us might call the one or God, they call it the Isness, back in 1995, 
What was your reaction to it? Oh, my, my reaction to it was all because of the simplicity and how clean it was. Um, and I immediately saw some parallels between what the Native American and other indigenous uh, people uh, had practiced um, as far as being a part of nature and appreciating nature and the grandeur of nature and watching nature and understanding the power and the presence of it, not only to heal, but to create wisdom and, and to educate um, about who we are in our physicality. You know, for example, what most people don't understand is many of our herbal treatments that have been used for, for thousands and thousands of years, the indigenous people learned from the animals by watching the animals, knowing what plants to eat when they weren't feeling well. You know, I mean, we take it for granted because we, we think we have, you know, modern medicine, but most of modern medicine is, is recreating extracts found in the plant world. That's all it is, except, you know, their stuff is really tweaked, you know, and it creates other problems for the body because it isn't real. Okay, Alex, critics of contactees often make the argument that the whole ET UFO phenomena is simply a ruse by attention seekers to create a cult following and pseudo-religion around themselves. <laughs> now, how would you... I know we're listening to this Alex Collier on his official YouTube channel. It's called Alex Collier, 14 years after the groundbreaking 1994 interview, 2009. It's about three quarters of the way through. How would you answer these types of critics? Well, you know, it's interesting. The contactees that I've met, none of them really want the attention. In, in fact, it's more disruptive and harmful to their, their lives than anything possibly could be. Um, you know, with the exception of the Meyer case, where they create Fiju and, and you know, it's become radical that Billy's it, and he's the one, and it's only him, and it's only about him. You know, other than that, I'm not aware of, of well, there is that guy in France, right? Uh, the Raelians or something like that, whatever they're called. You know, there is that guy, I think, that for the love of the planet, most contactees who have come forward, share the information because they believe it will help. It'll help give us some insight into what our issues are in our own self-identity to realize we're not alone. That, you know, maybe there is a way for us to get some answers so we don't destroy our planet, destroy our e ecology. You know, that there are some mentors out there, races who could mentor us through this transition that we're going through. Um, as far as creating religions and cults, well, humanity has always done that. You know, that's why you've got the religions. I mean, you know, the, the Romans knew what they were doing when they were creating the religions of the East and the West, you know, and, you know, and creating Christianity. They knew what they were doing. Um, I, I just... You know, the critics could find anything to bitch about anything. You know, they can, you know, they sit behind their, their computers and they, they say they can, you know, say whatever they want to say. Keyboard warriors. Um, Haters but what hate. would they do in the same position if they were being contacted? Would they shit their pants or <laughs> would they stand up and, and, and what would they do with the information? Uh, I'm sorry, you need to go away. I don't, I don't want any of this information because... I'm afraid I'll create a cult. I mean, what is that? <laughs> you know, what would they do? What would they do in this situation? You know, it's so easy to criticize the efforts of somebody else when you're the not one, not the one on the firing line. You know, it's always easy to be the, the, the armchair quarterback. You know, when you're in your living room, you're not on the floor or on the field having to make the call. It's always easy to second guess, you know, and, um, you know, from my heart, those people who think they know when they don't know, 
you know, you deserve to be on the front line. You really do. Mm -hmm. You do. You deserve to be on the front line. You deserve to, to be attacked like you've attacked everybody else so that you know that you don't know what you're talking about. It's that simple. And that's exactly how I feel about it after all these years of taking crap and having crap thrown at me and at my family and at my children. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. And it, it's gotten so bad that, you know, if you were to ask me, would I ever do this again? Would I ever go public again? The answer is absolutely no. I would keep the information for myself, pass it on to my family, and tell the rest of humanity, forget it. Because mm -hmm. it isn't worth it. It just isn't worth it. You know, look at your history on, on how you've, you've handled those who have tried to share wisdom. It isn't a good track record. So, but I wouldn't do it again. If I had to do it over, I wouldn't do it again. And that's what led to your five years where you... Nearly six, yes. Where you freeze contact with the Andromedans? Yeah. And what prompted you to begin contact with them again? What made the difference for you? What brought you back? Well, look at the condition of the world. And I'm a parent. I'm a parent. So this is about your children? Yeah. Yeah. Plain and simple. All right, now come the easy questions. <laughs> who, who is humanity? Who is humanity? <laughs> oh, you know, that's an evolving question. Who are we? You know, what? what is our sum total? Um, you know, we've come from humble beginnings, um, primarily a slave race, mixed with uh, extraterrestrial genetic races, uh, other genetic races of extraterrestrial origin, or other planetary systems. Um, been experimented on. There's, you know, that's, that's the $64,000 question. Who are we? I believe that's evolving um, as we are. What does it look like? You know, what does that look like when we have fully matured? You know, what does humanity look like? And I believe that it will probably be one of the few true representations of the entire galactic family living together as one. Uh, that's honestly what I believe. And, um, you know, through our physical body types, through our, our skin color, through our, all of our genetics, you know, just remarkable potential. Um, you know, but we're evolving. We're moving closer to that. Um, You've also mentioned that some of us are from a higher frequency, a higher dimension. You've talked about the Patal. I was told that in the Andromedan perspective, and this information was given to them by, by more advanced races than their own um, in, in a harmonic or frequency density higher than theirs, that there is speculation that many of the souls on the planet come from a group soul called the Patal. And that group soul were also known in history, in antiquity, galactic antiquity as the founders who had moved through all the dimensions through the different physicalities and evolved spiritually to get I guess to the highest level and some have decided to leave eternity and fall back into the concept of time which is where we are today where allegedly they are today let me put it that way um, here to help uplift and change you know, this harmonic, what we know as third density, and to move it forward. And as we move forward, it creates a graduational type of procession of uplifting of frequencies for other, for, for the others as well. Um, it's, it's an evolution, and, and allegedly that's what they think. Um, you know, that, that's, that's a very interesting subject, and... Uh, you know, I know we're limited on time on the tape, but, but, you know, I've dealt with some of that already 
in, in the earlier uh, talks. Let me ask you, uh, some people would say that, you know, we're here because we've made mistakes in the past and we're kind of like spiritual renegades and this is our prison or this is our cell. We're relegated to this spot in the, the galaxy on the outer fringes. Other people say we're slow learners, we're spiritual idiots. <laughs> And we've got a lot to learn before we're allowed into this, you know, heart of the galaxy and mix with the other higher frequency races. What do you, what have you learned about that? Those concepts are those valid or invalid? Are they? What's your opinion? Well, I think if Earth is a prison, it's because we've we believe it's a prison. Um, but it could be that they're all right. <laughs> I mean. If this is a place where we create our own physicality, we create our own reality, then they're all right. <laughs> you know, if you believe this is a prison for you, then, then you're right. It's going to be a prison for you. If you believe this is a paradise and a school and a place for you to learn lessons and evolve and to learn love, then it's going to be a school for you, a university, really. Um, you know, irregardless, we all know that it's a boot camp for the soul. You know, Earth is not easy. Um, I think it, the, the true test of Earth is that, yes, it's physical, but it's kind of like being in a mirror. You know, what you think is immediately mirrored back to you. You know, if, if, you, if you walk around, and, you know, whining that you're the victim, you know what, you're right. You're going to be the victim. You will create that reality for yourself. If you walk around... Uh, projecting prosperity, you will create prosperity. It will come to you. You know, to me, it's, it's like a hall of mirrors. That's what Earth is. And uh, I, for one, feel extremely blessed to be here to learn these incredible lessons and to have these, these particular opportunities. You know, um, and I just wish more people looked at it that way. Um, because, it, it, you know, when you get to that place, it's very self-empowering, you know, and, uh, you know, you're willing to step up and do the things that you have to do. Well, I am very thankful for the, for the lessons that Earth has given me. Um, but, you know, in hindsight, you know, with all the things that we have to go through to learn, to, to love, to feel, to be responsible, to, to experience anger and hate and abuse of power and, and all those lessons that we all go through many lifetimes here. Would I add that additional class of, you know, dealing with an extraterrestrial race on a planet as paranoid as this? And the answer is no. Now, earlier you said that uh, you're convinced reincarnation is a reality. In fact, you were even given evidence of reincarnation by the Andromedans. They showed you something when you were young. Uh, something about your your life history, your past. Can you share a little bit about that? And can you decide? Can you tell me a little bit about how our consciousness chooses what life or body to inhabit? And you have also talked about that Van Allen belt, and that it plays a part in reincarnation as well, in in terms of your understanding of it. Let's talk about reincarnation for a little bit. Tell me what you what you feel about reincarnation. When I was a kid, um, they had put this cap. It was almost like a, a, a metallic type of a yarmulke on my head. And immediately monitors came out of, of a wall out of nowhere. And I started being shown scenes of lifetimes. And this information was coming out of my own head, even though I consciously had no idea or a way to even tap into it. But I knew it was me. I mean, I was emotionally involved with every scene that I saw, and I knew that it was me. And, you know, I, that's not something that I can explain to people. You either just know or you don't. Well, I knew that was me. And from that moment on, I had a very, I had a different perspective of life. Because I haven't been born and raised a Catholic. You know, I was an altar boy. You know, here, you know, what they teach you is that you're given this one life to get it right and if you don't get it right and you make a mistake, you know, even though he's a loving and forgiving God, he's going to throw you into a fiery abyss for the rest of eternity. 
That's insanity. It's insanity. I mean, why would anybody believe that? Number one, okay? Number two, um, uh, obviously that's not a loving and forgiving God. <laughs> okay, so it's, you know, in, in my mind, you know, being a kid, it was a lie. Radical I just knew it was a lie. God. And reincarnation is oh not my new. God. That Many God. of the different uh, cultures have talked about it. And in order to mature the soul, you would need more than one lifetime. Uh, I mean, you know, what do we live on average on this earth? Most people. 45, 50 years for the average. In the United States, it's 72, I think. 73. But outside the country, it's, it's a lot less. Like and, and that's it. That's your window. Please. You know. So, um, you know, everybody has their own perspective on it. And absolutely everyone is entitled to their own uh, perspective on it. Um, I know that reincarnation is a fact. And I'm encouraged by the fact that it is a fact. That we get multiple lifetimes to figure things out. Turn it all to, to, to learn specific lessons. Now, you know, what does that look like when creating a family to come into? I don't have those answers, Rick. I don't. Um, I did ask the question once, where do souls go when they die? You know, and I was told that if, if there was a physical place, it would uh, be near the Van Allen belt, where that is. That's what the Asa told me. But that's all the information they ever gave me about it. So, and that's all I know. Now, in regard to human evolution, you've said that we must make the conscious decision not to spread hate. Why is this so important? Well, what's hate? It's a lack of love. It's a lack of love. And a lack of love is destructive. It disintegrates things. Um... If you look at some of the earlier notes where the Andromedans have talked about um, traveling through space throughout our galaxy and discovering cultures who had reached advanced maturity um, that had actually destroyed themselves because they lost their original intent. And I believe that the original intent is learning to totally and unconditionally not only love oneself, but love all. When you lose focus of that, things just begin to disintegrate perpetually because you continue to justify creating a space of fear. And do love and fear exist in the same space? No, they don't. They're actually polarities, opposite polarities. So, um, many of the advanced extraterrestrial races have figured that out. And so, even if there was an opposing ET regressive race, they would do their best not to hate them? Yes. Yes. You've said that in this age that it's so important to know your neighbors. You've said that uh, in your recent meeting with the Andromedans that you're... Uh, your faith in friendships was reaffirmed. Why is friendship and why associate with neighbors, why is it so important, especially now, in these well, times? And let's end it with this question. I've been blessed to have an off-world perspective of Earth. And it's a very tiny little planet compared to some of the others that are out there that have life on them. We are a community of people all living together, sharing a very, very small space, okay, on a ball of water and land that is traveling through space. It is such a miracle, such a gift, if you could, if you could see it from that perspective. The, the, reaff, uh, the reaffirming of friendship was, you know how, I had not seen them in a very, very long time, and that initial reconnecting was if we had never been apart. And you know that when you're, and, and, you know, we've all experienced that here on Earth 
where we have had friends who we've never seen or we haven't seen for years and years and years, and then you either accidentally bump into them or something, and it's just like the, it's like you hadn't been apart. The conversation, the friendship picks up exactly where it left off. Those are gifts. You know, those are absolute moments of grace. And they should not ever be taken for granted. Um, because those relationships not only mirror back our own goodness and bring us joy and laughter and, and sharing, um, but they help complete us, you know, and, and reaffirm, you know, our purpose and, and seek good. In, in people every day and then you know that's that's something I think we need to do is we need to really focus on looking for the good that's in every day you know I read the news every day I know what's happening in the world and sometimes it terribly gets me down because and frustrated because I don't know what to do to fix the problem you know guys we're, we try to solve problems right we're, we're wired that way um, but at the same time um, I, I, if, if, the, if the kids start laughing about something, it changes my perspective. It, it brings me joy. It, it makes me, you know, it brings me back, you know, to what really is important. And I think, you know, what we started off this interview with, you know, what's really important. These are the things that, you know, humanity as a whole really needs to be focusing on. It can't be about money, you know. I'll never forget the uh, the time that I did this presentation regarding money to Mornay and Faseas because they asked me to. And when the whole thing was over, and I spent a great deal of time putting together this presentation. Of course, I was naive because I figured, well, they didn't really know. They didn't understand. But of course they knew. They've been studying us for a long time. And when the whole thing was over, Mornay was very grateful. And Faseas just looked at me and he goes, I don't understand. And I go, well, what is it that you don't understand? And he just he just looked at me and he said, I don't understand why you have to pay to live on a planet you were born on. And I mean, it's such a simple question and it's haunted me ever since. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen? Ask yourself that question. Why do we have to pay to live on a planet we were born on? And who are we actually paying for the privilege of being alive here? Who made them the boss? Who put them in charge? You know? Think about that. Oh, it's... <laughs> and, and, and have a rum and coke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, kidding, I'm kidding. Thanks so much for spending the time with, uh, with me today and with, with all the people that are going to get to be able to see this. And uh, we all thank you in advance. Um, and, and we thank you for everything you've done in the past, the sharing all your experiences. And we, a lot of us recognize the pain and sacrifice that you've gone through in, in sharing this. And uh, we all just want to remind you that we really appreciate it and thank you. Peace out. Right. Introducing 